or teach. It would have to be the plan of salvation, followed closely by and including a sermon on the church. And the third, I believe, among that number would be a sermon on the home. And that's what we're going to speak on this morning. There are three divine institutions in the Bible. We may have to turn this down. I'm getting some feedback, Daniel. But three divine institutions we read about in the Bible. There is the government, the church, and the third is, and the oldest, is the home. And again, that's what we're speaking on this morning. In your Bibles, in Isaiah chapter 39... In verse number 4, Isaiah 39, in verse number 4, you have King Hezekiah. And the prophet, uh, of course God, through the prophet there, comes to him and he asks him a question regarding the Babylonians. And he says, what have they seen in thine house? What have they seen in thy house? And he said, they've seen everything. And he said, they're going to come and take it all and take you to Babylon eventually. But earlier in Isaiah 38 and verse 1, there is a statement there in Isaiah 38 and verse 1 that has always uh, struck a chord with me. And there Hezekiah is dying, and God, through the prophet, says to Hezekiah, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Set thine house in order. What have they seen in thy house? And you know, when it comes to a person's house, the house should be in order. Regarding elders and deacons, 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, If a man not know, know not how to rule his own house. Or in Genesis chapter 18, verse number 19, the great Abraham is there spoken of. And God says of Abraham, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. <clears throat> The theme this morning, the home as God would have it, if we put it in more modern vernacular, what is the nuclear family? But I like the phraseology, what is the biblical home? You know, I've heard before that a good sermon has three points. Someone says an introduction and conclusion as well, and some would say is the closer the introduction and conclusion are together, the better it is. You know, uh, Abraham Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address only spoke for two or three minutes. The man before him spoke for over two hours. My sermon will be somewhere between two and three minutes and two hours. And uh, it'll have an introduction, a conclusion, and three points. You know, Paul, when speaking to Felix, he reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. That's a three-point sermon. I don't think you always have to have a three-point sermon because Brother Hall would remind me of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'll say, uh, you don't have to have one, but today we have one. And here are the three points. And the home of blessing, or we would probably more naturally say the blessing of the home. The world of chaos, the God of order, and the home of blessing. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. Brother Jaggy's been teaching on Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 3 and verse 17, here Ezekiel the prophet says and records for us, God says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman under the house of Israel, therefore hear the word of my mouth and give them warning from me. We are watchmen today. Someone says, oh, Jason, that's in the Old Testament and we're under the New Testament. I understand that. And I also understand the Old Testament's for our learning, Romans 15, 4. And let's go to Acts chapter 20. We see the same thing in Acts 20. I'm going to read several verses here in Acts 20. In verse number 19 beginning, Acts 20, verse 19. 
Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Sometimes people think others are not humble, but this is where humility is. It'd be in the mind. Serving the Lord with humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going into Jerusalem bound in the Spirit, not knowing what shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course. Isn't that beautiful language? So that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day, here it is, that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The world of chaos, and we are to be watchmen. Now, anyone who's lived the last six months who's of an accountable age know we've lived in a time of turmoil and chaos. We have seen disease and sickness. We have seen odd government edicts. We have seen people get tickets for worshiping God uh, by the government in various states. We have seen burning and looting and abuse and even murder. All you have to do is turn on the news, maybe not so much, it seems. But if you turn it on, Portland and Chicago and Seattle and other places, even in Texas, we see some of these things going on. And I would imagine that the premillennialists are about to have a stroke because they probably think the world is coming to an end. And I don't know. The Bible says God or Jesus is going to return as a thief in the night. And yet they see all of these end of time signals, some of them do, because they're so confused thinking Jesus is going to come back and set up a kingdom on earth and reign for a thousand years. That is all false doctrine. Premillennialism is false doctrine. But I want you to understand something this morning about this world of chaos. This is nothing new. Psalm chapter 2 in verse number 4 has, has God there in heaven and He is laughing as the heathen are raging. He gives the answer in verse 12. Blessed are those that trust in the Lord, he, uh, Psalm 2.12. And what I want you to understand, this is nothing new. Psalm 9 and verse 17 was written a long time ago. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Any nation that forgets God will ultimately be punished by God on God's timetable. I don't know when or if this country is getting punished for the sins of our past. I don't know that. I can tell you this much. We're seeing many sins now trying to bring up quote-unquote sins from the past, some of which were sins from the past, and some are simply things made up. But in Matthew 6 and verse 33, the Bible still gives the same answer. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He says in Matthew 6, 24 and following, we're not to worry about things of this world. The things of the morrow shall take care of themselves. Matthew 6 and verse 34. I want you to understand, brethren, we can have peace as Christians even in a world of chaos because Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, 10. 
In Philippians chapter 4, what a great prescription this is for times of chaos. Philippians 4, verse 6 and verse number 7. Some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, King James. It means in nothing be anxious or worried. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God... And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep guard like a sentinel at the door, your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And this idea of passing all understanding means one of two things. It either means that God is so profound we can't fully comprehend all that God is, and that certainly is true, or it could also mean that we have a peace that the world does not have, and I believe that is equally true. A peace that passes understanding. We are blessed. The Bible says rejoice always, and again I say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1. And so we can go through this world, this world of chaos, realizing this is nothing new. Turn to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. And I want you to notice in the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, verse number 25. Luke 4 and verse 25. This was several thousand years ago almost, and in Luke 4 and verse 25, But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, or Elijah. You can read about this in the Old Testament and Kings, as well as in the book of James and so forth. When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, that's a long time. And the great, when, when great famine, it doesn't say famine, it says when great famine was throughout all the land. Go back to chapter 2 in Luke and read with me beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when uh, Serenius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed, every in, one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judah under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house of the lineage of David, and to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. My point is this. You see government interference in people's lives. You see great famine and distresses. That's not only all. Go also to Luke chapter um, 4, back to chapter 4, and look at verse number 40. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 40. The Bible says here in Luke 4 and verse number 40, Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers, that means various, diseases brought him unto them, or brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. This was during the days of the miraculous. But the point I'm trying to show you is there were diseases, various diseases, a lot of problems, a lot of trouble. Look at chapter 6 in Luke and verse number 17. Luke 6 and verse number 17, we find this in our Bibles. And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, I mean, that's a lot of places, which came to hear him, watch this, and to be healed of their diseases. In fact, I would even say it was even worse because the next verse says that there were people with uh, vexed with unclean spirits. The, that's passed away. Demon possession is no more. The miraculous has ceased. That time period has ceased. But I want you to understand these were no different times than we live in to some degree. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 1. Luke 9 and verse 1. 
Then He called His twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Acts 28 and verse 9 talks about an island and there were many who came from that island and were in the Old Testament. And look at chapter 14. You ever wondered who Lucifer is? Oh yeah, Lucifer, that's a devil. Not in the Bible. In the Bible, Lucifer is the king of Babylon. But the world doesn't understand that. You know, they'll take a preacher and they'll call that preacher pastor. They'll call that preacher reverend. They'll call that preacher father. They'll call that preacher a priest. We know all Christians are priests. They'll call the devil Lucifer because they don't read the Bible. The Bible says Lucifer is the king of Babylon. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? But if you go back to verse 4, that thou shalt take this proverb against the king of Babylon. So it says, why are you talking about that? Look at this grand description of the death of this king, the death of this kingdom, and how the people were rejoicing because of the oppression. Okay, go to verse number um, 7. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Well, well, why? Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller, one that would cut a tree, has come up, up against us or cut us down. Hell from beneath, think about death, is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations, and they shall speak and say unto thee, Like unto us, thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and thy noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? The point I'm trying to make is this. When I read these things, I realize this is nothing new. Times of trouble, times of trial, times of cruelty, times of weirdness and evil. That's nothing new in the Bible. You see, we live and we've always lived in a world of chaos. God created Adam and Eve and it wasn't very long at all because he's a liar from the beginning, John 8, 44. Satan enters in and what does he do? He attacks them, but more importantly for today, I want you to understand, he attacked the home. He attacked Adam and Eve. He brought sin into their lives and nothing's been the same ever since. But we need to understand Proverbs 24, 19. Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious of the wicked. Acts 5, 40 and 41. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. We should always have the testimony of Acts 5, 28 and 29 where it says that it's better to, that we should obey God rather than men. Yes, we live in a world of chaos. Romans 1. You ever read Romans 1? They lived in a world of chaos too, didn't they? The Bible says in Romans 1, these people were so vile, they gave themselves up to unnatural things. And the Bible says there about three times in Romans 1, God gave them up. They gave themselves up. God gave them up. God gave them up. That is, God allowed them to make choices and they gave themselves up to a certain way of life. And so when I, when I come to our day and time, yes, it disturbs me as a citizen of this country, it disturbs me as a father, it disturbs me as a person who loves freedom and, and, and was raised a very, in a very blessed way to understand the freedoms we have. But friends, listen. The things, I'm going to give you a few examples and then we'll go to the second point. This is nothing new. The problems of television, the first bad word, I believe, in 1939 and Gone with the Wind, and now we have M MTV and art and and all the different things that are so vile, we can't even bring them all up. Even, quote-unquote, in some of the supposed Christian colleges, they have these things, again, as they would use the terminology, in, in forms of, of vile pornography or, or mild, which is still sinful and wicked. 
PBS. I know some of these young people today will probably recognize this show, Arthur. How many of you ever saw that growing up? Arthur, the cartoon show. Oh, man, look at all the hands. I want you to look around the room at all the hands, particularly the younger, those in their 20s. Well, in uh, 2019, Mr. Ratburn from Arthur had a same-sex marriage in the show's 22nd premiere Monday, and Twitter is sharing the love. Full circle as Mr. Ratburn shares wedding cake with his new aardvark husband, Patrick. That's from an article May 13, 2019. PBS, this show that now has a man marrying a man just a year or so ago that this happened. And so all these years and all these children who watched this show who had a lot of decent things in it and now all of a sudden, boom, a man's marrying a man in a cartoon. But friends, that's nothing new these days. My Little Pony on Discovery Family, Adventure Time, Cartoon Network, Star vs. the Forces of Evil, whatever that is on the Disney Channel. And then you begin to look into some of the things that go on during Pride Week. I was amazed as I researched some of this at how systemic these things are. You look at people who either give back money to the uh, LGBTQ, uh, biblically sodomite movement, and so as they give in, you begin to research this. You ever heard some of these names? Zales, Old Navy, Ikea, Disney, Tiffany's, Banana Republic, Starbucks, Verizon, Under Armour, Lush, Chipotle, Reebok, Calvin Klein, Rosetta Stone. Isn't that a way to teach you language? Rosetta Stone, Nike, Adidas, Levi's, American Eagle, Michael Kors, Target, Ralph Lauren, Gap, Fossil, Macy's, T-Mobile. Do I need to continue? These people are supporting the movement of a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman or a man becoming a woman big time. They are promoting it. Just go look it up on the internet. And yet Leviticus 18.22 in the Old Testament says, Thou shalt not lie with a mankind, mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Romans chapter 1. Take your Bible and go to Romans chapter 1. This is what God's Word says. Yes, we live during a time of chaos, but it's always been this way. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And then if you go down to verse 23, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men. Verse 24, here it is, I told you this. God gave them up. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affection. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Verse 28, the middle of the verse, God gave them over to, do, to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient or appropriate or right. He then lists all of these various sins, which includes everything from disobedience to parents, to murder, to homosexuality, to, to you name it. And then he says in verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That is, those are condemned that um, sin against God and those that say it's okay to do these things. And we live in a time period, people say, oh, Jason, what's the big deal? It's a big deal. But yet it's not new. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when we read our Bibles, we see this, these things are not new. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, they may be new to us, they may be new recently in our time, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, I believe is good commentary. In whom the God of this world, that's the devil, that's Satan, that's the one that's attacked the home from the beginning. He hath blinded, or it says, uh, he's blinded the minds of people. Who, which believe not, lest the light of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. It's not very far past uh, there, that passage there. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 
4. Speaking of Jesus, he's the, he's the solution. Who gave himself for our sins. Isn't that really what we're talking about is sin? All of this is just sin when people rebel against the home, when they teach homosexu homosexuality, when they teach anything against the body. Sin. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us. What's he going to deliver us from, Brother Dink? Deliver us from this present evil world. Now, he wrote that nearly 2,000 years ago. This is nothing new. I want you to understand, there is a world, and this world is in chaos, but it's been in chaos for a long, long time. You know, you can go read the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, but you also could just read Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. It, it was written before the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, and it'll tell you the same thing, that nations rise, nations fall, the unjust will be punished at some point. It, 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 it comes close to, though. I have a friend of mine who sent me this recently where someone was applying or a college student was at Texas A&M was looking for not a job at the moment, but eventually beginning to put themselves in that pipeline. And they go to the one with this. Uh, you want an established culture. You want a high growth culture. You want a nonprofit culture. You want a startup culture. And then it says, what do you want your employer to support? I want you to notice the options. Women. African Americans, Native Americans, LGBTQ, that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, that's their word, not mine, it, it's all evil, Asian Americans, Hispanics, people with disabilities, military veterans. You know what I did not see there? I did not see patriotic, family values, honors traditional marriage, loves God, religiously focused, I didn't see any of that. Because we live in a society where they, are, they have a narrative. If you don't know that, you are, you are not paying attention to what's going on. Friends, every 20 seconds, a baby is aborted in this country. Every 20 seconds. That means 135 little babies are going to be murdered. Abortion is a, key word, is a, a, phrase, a euphemistic term for, for murder. By the time this sermon's over, if it's a 45-minute lesson, let's say, that's 135 babies who've been murdered in the course of this sermon. Since 1973, I was born in 1974, they started murdering babies before I was born. I'm 46 years old. I believe it's at least, it's no telling the exact number, but around 61-plus million have been murdered since 1973. About 4,300 a day have been murdered every day just in the United States since 1973. One baby every 20 seconds. And yet I have never turned on my news at night and seen them call a panel or have a tracker. Okay, we got this many babies, or this many mamas heading toward an abortion clinic. Okay, here's the ticker. There's one 20 seconds. There's another 20 seconds. There's another 20 seconds. I've never seen that. I've never seen a tracker on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I've never seen a tracker on pornography watching or a tracker on people who are abusive to their spouse. You see, listen, we live in a time that is chaotic, but it's no different than it always was in the United States of America. Kamala, or Kamala Harris, however you say it, Kamala Harris. Someone says, oh, I, 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 she seems nice. Well, of course she seems nice. A lot of people seem nice, but what does the woman stand for? Let me make this plain. You know what Planned Parenthood is? Planned Parenthood is an organization that's huge. It's all over the world. It's all over the United States. They have a budget that's about five or six hundred million a year. They have assets in the billions they do 107, this is a couple of years old, 117 abortions to every one adoption that they do. 
And uh, Margaret Sanger founded Planned Parenthood. Let me just tell you this, and I'll come back to Kamala in just a second. Margaret Sanger, you know who Margaret Sanger is? She was born in 1879, died in 1966. She popularized the term birth control and, and, and also established what evolved into Planned Parenthood. Let me give you some quick quotes from Margaret Sanger. From my view, I believe there should be no more babies. That was in 1947. The most merciful thing the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. I believe that was in about 1920. We don't want the world, the word to go out that we want, that we want to exterminate the Negro population. Let me, just, let, me, let me tell you, this woman was a racist. Talk about racist, okay, if I can use the term, use the fancy science term. She, she had a different pigmentation. The, or she was white, she didn't like those are different. She was the one who originated what came into Planned Parenthood. Do you understand, friends, there are more abortions in New York City every year among the black population than there are births? And the woman who founded the organization, quote-unquote, a white woman, was a racist herself, and she formed what came to be Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood is nothing but a, a, a place of baby murder? Someone says, what does this have to do with Kamala Harris? Kamala Harris was the Attorney General of California. She didn't prosecute Planned Parenthood when they were serving, uh, when they were selling baby body parts. She prosecuted the news person or persons who discovered they were selling baby body parts. So we have a woman who prosecuted those who told what was happening. They said, they're selling baby body parts. She said, oh really? I'm going to prosecute you. That's who's running for Vice President of the United States. People say, well, I'm going to vote for her because she's black. Well, then you're a racist and you're going to go to hell because that is a sin. I was in Colorado the other day, and there was a lady there, and I was making a comment about who I would vote for from president. And she said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not voting for anybody unless that person is a Native American. I said, a Native American? I said, well, what about what a person believes? Doesn't matter. I'm voting for Native American. I said, that means you're a racist. You mean you're calling me a racist and I'm a Native American? You, you calling me a racist and I'm a Native American? I said, that's exactly what I'm calling you. Because if you're voting for someone or like someone just because of what you say they are, what else is that? Native American, if they were right, I'm going to vote what the Bible teaches. I'm going to uphold what the Bible teaches. It has nothing to do with pigmentation uh, colors. And yet we have people like Margaret Sanger. I could go deeper into the things this woman said, but I'm telling you, it's bad. She wanted people to have a marriage license uh, they had to get a marriage license, but it, and then they had to have a special approval to have a kid. That's what she wanted. She wanted, if you had any kids who were mentally handicapped, she wanted those people terminated. She wanted to sterilize people. It's the one behind Planned Parenthood. So when I began to get into these kind of things, and I realized that approximately 40% of babies born now are born out of wedlock. That is, they're not born into a family with a mama and a daddy. They're born to someone who's not even married. Forty percent. Forty percent in our country. You think we have a problem? Kids are being raised without a daddy. Kids are being raised sometimes without a mama or a daddy. They're being raised sometimes by grandparents. Now, I understand, I understand there are things that happen. A mom and dad get killed in a car wreck. A dad uh, gets killed, a mom gets killed, a dad cheats on his wife, gets put away, and this is a single mom trying to do right in light of the Bible's exception in Matthew 19.9. But the point I'm trying to make is this. We cannot become desensitized to these things, brethren. Yes, we live in a chaotic world, but it's always been this way. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 8. 2 Corinthians 1, 8. You know, people have different views on this too. They'll say, Jason, don't preach politics. I didn't tell you who to vote for. Just vote for what's right. But I can tell you this much. In our day and time, we're talking about moral things and immoral things. Murdering babies, we better preach on that. We better preach on this transgender movement. We better tr- preach on the homosexual movement. These things are against God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, watch this. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, I'm in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, that we were pressed out of measure, that means weighed down, out of measure, uh, throwing beyond, a, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. That sounds like trouble. Sounds like a culture in chaos. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. There's the key. But in God. Sounds like Psalm 2, 4 and 2.12, doesn't it? Which raiseth the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust <clears throat> that he will yet deliver us Verse 11, I'm only going to read the first part of the sentence. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. We need to pray for our current president. You know, our current president certainly is not a New Testament Christian and all that the Bible teaches about that. We know that. This man's got some moral issues himself. I would not disagree with that. But I know the man put in a justice in the Supreme Court who's opposed to abortion. I know this man has put judges in place who are, who are upholding, quote-unquote, Bible values. That is, that is beyond a dispute. And I know we need to pray for conservative leadership and people to get in place to let us lead a good and peaceable life. The Bible says that in other places. And I know this, not only is the opponent, the vice president, the one who prosecuted, the one who exposed Planned Parenthood, I know that the man running for president right now said this, this is a quote from 2012, by the way. I believe it was October 2012. Uh, Joe Biden said this. The civil rights issue of our day, what's this? Is transgender discrimination. Transgender discrimination is the civil rights issue of our day. Transgender, tra- what, is, what does that even mean? It means where a man can morph into a woman or a woman can morph into a man or technically speaking, when you really get into some of the movements and things behind this, you begin to see how deranged this really is. It means you can be anything, anytime you want to be. Now don't take my word for it. I went to the website of blacklivesmatter.com. This is straight from their website. And I found some interesting things on this website. Four years ago, I guess that's 2016, What is now known as the Black Lives Matter Global Network began to organize. Now, we're opposed to racism, whether it be black racism or white racism, KKK, Black Panthers, we don't agree with any of that. We agree with what the Bible teaches. It says to connect black people, uh, for them to act together, uh, we want to change the term of the debate on blackness around the world. Okay, I keep reading here. Uh, We're unapologetically black in our positioning, whatever that means. And then I get a little bit further over here. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family. So you look up that word, nuclear family, a family group of two parents, mom and dad. So we're opposed to that, they say. We foster a primitive thinking. The use of comrades is used several times. That's an interesting word. 
We uh, build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments in which men are centered. We dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift, up, uplift, uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women. And it goes on and talks about uh, the different types of transgender issues. The point I'm trying to make is this. What that movement is really about when you dig into who started it, it's about promoting everything homosexual, everything that involves a man becoming a woman or a woman becoming a man, and it's guised in language that the average American would say, well, of course black lives matter, because we don't believe you should discriminate based on color. But that's not what this is about, not the movement. We're talking about the phrase of the movement. And yet today what's happened, as he's shown even in Bible class, you're now seeing religious people come out, and they'll say things like, well, we, you know, we, we do have a problem. I was, I'm on a board, and a late, late lady recently sent out an email, and she said this in the email. She said, listen, we have got to do better. Well, I got the survey on her review for her job, and I said, what do you mean we got to do better? What, what, do, we do, what do we got to do better at? Maybe you got to do better, but I've been a Christian for a long time. I know it's wrong to discriminate based on color, discriminate based on money, discriminate based on things of that nature, height and so forth. But it's not a sin to discriminate. In fact, I'm, commended, I'm commanded to discriminate based on sin or not sin. We live in a chaos, a culture of chaos. No, Hillary Clinton, it doesn't take a village to raise a child. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a mama and a daddy, a nuclear family. That's what it takes to raise a child. That's what God's Word says. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. I want you to understand, not only do we live in a, a culture of chaos, but we have a God of order. Our second point, the God of order. Look at Matthew chapter 19. He goes back here to Genesis 2. We could read if we had time, 18 through 25. But in Matthew 19, verse number 4, here's what Jesus would say. Matthew 19, 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that which he made them at the, he made them at the beginning? All right, evolution's false. Because men and women were made at the beginning, not the end. Theistic evolution is false because men and women were made at the beginning, not the end. He said he made them male and female. There goes all that gender stuff. There's male and there's female. That's it. You know, A&M can put on all the things they want to, all these different genders. What are you? That is absolute nonsense. It doesn't even make any sense. If they want to be consistent, I want them just to come out and say this. What I would like to ask some of these people, if I were actually asking them a question, is do you believe that a man, you believe a man can become a woman? You've already stated that. You believe a man can marry a man? You've already stated that. Can a man marry a man and a woman at the same time? Can a man marry his own mother? Can a mother marry her own daughter? You know, by the way, if you really get into these groups, that's what they want. They're not, only for, they're not only for pornography, they're for pedophilia. They want to abuse children. Don't think they don't. Go look up the groups. Better yet, don't look up the groups. But here, here's what I'm saying. As you begin to kind of dissect all of this, I think about Thess 2 Thessalonians 3.2. 2 Thessalonians 3.2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. They dealt with this in the first century. I think it was Caligula, wasn't he? One of the Roman general governors or one of the Roman emperors that supposedly was married to his own horse. It's nothing new, which is new to us. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28. Fear not him which can kill them which can kill the body, but fear, them, fear him which can kill both body and soul and destroy that, it says, in hell. Matthew 10, 28. You know, if there's ever a time to read Hebrews 13, I believe now would be the time. Hebrews chapter 13 
And you see in verse 5 and 6 such encouraging language. Yes, there's a culture of chaos, but friends, we have a God of order, a God of order who teaches us that man is to be married to woman, Matthew chapter 19, 4 through 6. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Let, not, let your conversation, your lifestyle, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. If you're a decent person, and I know you are, you wouldn't be here this morning. And you begin to think on these things, and they bother you. They bother me. How do you cope? Turn to the book of Psalms. You cope by forgetting the culture of chaos and turning to the God of order. Psalm 3320. I'm going to read several psalms. At least I told you what book it was in. Psalm 3320. Here's the answer. Here's how you cope. Psalm 3320. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Look at chapter 40, verse 17. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Notice the ETH, he keeps on thinking about me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Psalm 63, 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. What imagery that is. Psalm 94, 17. Psalm 94, 17. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. I wouldn't even know what to do or say. Psalm 118, Psalm 118. I'm going to read verse 6, and then I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. Psalm 118, verse 6, and then 8 and 9. I love this. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Yeah, it's pretty clear who I want to be president. But you know what? If he doesn't get elected, that's okay. If the state of Texas goes liberal, that's okay. If this whole country goes to pot, that's okay. If people lose their mind, become communists and Marxists, and they want to destroy the freedom we had, I'll hate it as a patriot. But that's okay because my trust is in God. It's not in princes. It's not in chaos of culture. And you go to the God of order and peace. Go back to Matthew chapter 19 very quickly. Matthew chapter 19. Why is this such a big deal on the home? Because the home is the foundation of society. The home is the foundation of a community. The home is the foundation of culture. The home is a foundation of a city. It's the foundation of a state and a nation. And Jesus knew that, and he goes back to the garden in his quote in Genesis, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, referring back to Genesis 2, and he says in verse 4, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? There's the problem. Nobody reads anymore the Bible. That, be, that he which made them at the beginning male, made them male and female, verse 5, I'll pick up where I left off earlier, and said, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave, means glue, or to be stuck like glue, to his wife. Notice, his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. In your mind, think of a triangle. The top is God. The two sides, you have man and woman. They're joined together. God joins them together. 
And that's the way it ought to be. One man for one woman for life. That's God's plan. He understands if there's death that someone can remarry. Romans 7, 1 Corinthians 7, 39. He understands that there's an exception. If that in that marriage one party becomes unfaithful and commits fornication, fornication, Matthew 19 and verse number 9. If they put the guilty party away, then the innocent party has a right to remarry. Per Matthew 19, 9. In fact, it's so strong of teaching that in verse 12, the apostles, the disciples respond and say, or verse 11, or 10 through 12, it said, it's better not to even marry. Jesus said, well, it is what it is. He said, some are born eunuchs. Some are made eunuchs of men. Remember Daniel and other places? He said, and some are eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. That is hard teaching. Jason, are you saying to me right now, you're married to BJ for 25 plus years, you're saying if you were to run off on your wife or she would run off on you, that the innocent party can either forgive or put away and the guilty party can never again remarry? No, I'm not saying that. God said it. Jesus said it. The Bible says it. Doesn't matter what I say, it matters what does the Bible say. Man, that, that sounds harsh, Jason. Can't, can't that person get forgiveness? Yes. But they can't go back into sin and live in adultery. Baptism washes away sin, but it will not wash away the consequence. wash away the sin, but there's still consequences. It, it won't let a person go back into that same sin. Can two homosexuals become Christians? Absolutely. Can they go back and live as homosexuals after they're baptized? No. And by the way, they're not married anyway. God's not going to join a homosexual to a homosexual. These people are lesbians or homosexuals. We were to baptize them. They have the right to get married. They ain't been married anyway. It's not marriage. When you begin to study what the Bible teaches on these things, it matters because it matters to society. God gives order. He is the God of order. He's the God of order in the government. Romans chapter um, 13. You know, the other day Pence was talking. I, I heard a, online a speech he gave. And you know what he referred to? That it made me happy. Here's the man. He's the vice president of the United States currently. And he talks about order. And he said, as the good book says to a bunch of policemen, he says, you don't bear the sword in vain. I tell you, that made me proud to live in a country where a man in that high position is quoting the good book and quoting the passage that I knew. People want to vote for a lady who would rather oppress people who expose those who sell baby body parts. They would rather vote for someone who says that transgender issues are the civil rights issue of our land. Well, they can do what they want to do and face God. You know, God gives a pattern. I want to very quickly do this. We'll go to our third point. Pattern. Go to Exodus 25. You know, I earlier talked about the God of order. When I talk about the God of order, go to the book of Exodus. When I say order, I mean a pattern. Remember, one man, one woman for life. There's an exception, Matthew 19, 9. Death can certainly allow you to remarry, the, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 and Romans 7. But notice how God has a pattern for everything in this world. Exodus 25, I love this chapter uh, here regarding the plans for all of the furniture and so forth. And, and he says in Exodus 25, 9, According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments. Look at, Matthew, look at Exodus 25, verse 40. And look, thou, and, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Now I learned from that. In the Old Testament they had a pattern. This is quoted in Hebrews 8, 5, by the way. Because the New Testament also is a pattern and it's applied to the church in spiritual language, uh, Hebrews 8, 5. We know that's the case because Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He's the author of all them that obey Him, Hebrews 5, 9. There's a pattern in the Old Testament. There's a pattern. I've always thought this was interesting when I came across this in my studies some number of years ago. 
But in Exodus chapter 40, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we skip over language that teaches us principles. And in Exodus chapter 40, I want you to notice how clear God is making this. Now this is also about the tabernacle. 25, he's given the directions. We have in 39 and 40 and other chapters, it's all being built. So it's the same context as the pattern, Exodus 25, 9 and, 9 and 40. But look at Exodus 40, verse 16. Thus did Moses, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's a pattern. But brethren, that's not the only time he says that. Look at verse number um, 19. Go to the end of the verse. As the Lord commanded Moses. Look at verse 21, the last phrase. As the Lord commanded Moses. Look at verse 23, the last phrase. As the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 25. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 27. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 29. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 32. As the Lord commanded... It almost sounds like a chant, doesn't it? How many times does he have to say, I have a pattern? And he does. The solution to the culture of chaos is the God of order. The God of pattern. And when we understand that, we understand He has a pattern for the government to oppress evildoers, not those who do well, Romans 13. He has a pattern for the church, all men should flow unto it, Isaiah 2, 2 and following. And He has materialism and sexual evil and, and divorce for any reason. These cycles of children growing up without a mama and a daddy and all that comes because of that. It's not the baby's fault, but it's the fault of those who do choose sin. And let me tell you something else, too. We have free will. We can break cycles of sin. Someone says, well, I, I didn't have a dad. Well, if you're a man, you grow up and you become married, be a good one. Someone says, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a good mom. She was a sorry mom. Well, then you be a good mom. People can do good and people can do evil. It's a choice. Jeremiah 10, 23, it's not a man that walks to direct his own steps. You can get to a time in a society, Jeremiah 17, 6, I'm sorry, Judges 17, 6 and Judges 21, 25, where every man does that which is right in his own eyes. We're seeing that in some of these cities. Psalm 11, verse 3. This is what you might be thinking. This is, we need to look this one up. Psalm 11, verse 3. Let's just look this up. I, I had a lot of verses in Psalms today. Now, I won't be too much longer, but if you panic about it, don't worry. Brother Hall will be back in the pulpit here shortly. Psalm 11, verse number 3. You ever feel like this? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I know Brother Darrell probably thinks that. He's been here on this earth a number of years. What, what, what can we do if the, if the foundations be destroyed? What do we do? He gives the answer in verse 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord tried Look at the first verse of this chapter. In, in the Lord put I my trust. There's the key. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mouth. The righteous, the unrighteous say, flee. I'm not going to flee. Even if you kill me, even if you oppress me, even if you take away my business, even if you hurt me and you hurt this country, it doesn't matter. God is in control. It's in Him that I trust. Culture of chaos, the God of order. I want the God of order. And the God of order doesn't give us some crazy 
a society of Marxism or communism or something of this nature. He gives us the home. And that's my final point. I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on every point of the home. I can't do it. Can I just show you how simple it is? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, this could be a series that would go forever if you addressed every home, godly and ungodly in the Bible. I mean, it would take forever. It would be an amazing study. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances, it sounds like a pattern, doesn't it, a God of order, as I deliver them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Well, being in subjection is not a bad thing because men are in subjection to Christ. And Christ, when He came to earth, humbled Himself and became in subjection to the Father. And then He came back, and then He, of course, now is with, back with the Father. You know, we understand this. An assistant coach is just as important as the head coach. He's just not the head coach. God gives order in the home. Turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. I mean, all you have to do is read it. Ephesians chapter 5. Someone says, that's outdated. No, it's not. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. It's a cultural thing that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3. The man had to work, and the woman had more pain in childbearing, and she had to be in submission to her husband. It goes back to the beginning of time and the order God created. Ephesians 5 and 22. Wives, submit. That means to put yourself under yourselves, under your own husbands. Notice, not any man, your own husband. You ever thought about that? With the exception of a woman's submission to leadership of, of, of men in the church and a woman's submission to her own husband, in what are the way they're not equal with men? And even then, they're equal, they just have a different position. Not the same position. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking back to one of those demonstrations I saw in the news, and this was a, Peyton, I'm an East Texas boy, I'm just going to say white girl, I don't know what to say. So, so she's sitting there, and she is, I mean, thankfully it's muted, but you could tell, she's cussing the police out. I want to say maybe even it was a black policeman being cussed out by this white woman about how he was racist, I guess. It's crazy. And I'm thinking to myself, what do you think she would do if I went up to her and I said, hey, honey, you married? Where's your husband? And he said, you get to the house, quit this stuff. What do you think she'd do? I don't think I'd be preaching this sermon. Probably get shot. The Bible is clear. Wives, we don't need anybody to tell us otherwise. We know what the Bible says. The Bible is right. What about husbands? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. I don't know of anything tougher than that in the Bible than that. To love your wife like Christ loved the church, that is sacrificial, deep love. Deep love. Man that follows that's not going to be abusive to his wife. He's going to work with her. She's going to submit to him. They're going to go and be, and, and be heirs together of the grace of life. 1 Peter chapter 3. He's going to strive to dwell with her according to knowledge as they get to know each other. And as they grow older together, following the order, the God of order who has a plan for the culture of chaos and is found in the home of blessing. That's where it's found. And then if you go on and look at chapter, you can read the rest about this husband loving his wife as he loves his own body and so forth. It's beautiful. But verse, chapter 6, verse 1. What about children? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, 
for this is right. For this is right. Remember Romans chapter 1, disobedient to parents. Why would he put disobedience to parents in the same category as murderers, as homosexuals? Because he knew that if you destroy the home, you destroy society. Why is marriage, divorce, remarriage so tough? Why is that such a tough teaching? Because God knew if you could just get a new wife or get a new husband whenever you wanted to, you would destroy civilization. He knew that. Tough. But what a plan. They dwell long on the earth. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't stir them up all the time. Try to work with them. Know who they are. Psalm 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. The way he leans. The way he's bent. Doesn't mean anything he wants to do. It means knowing. Know his nature. Know her nature. Are they emotional? Or are they non-emotional? We have fun talking about that working even in our home. And I have children of every type and, and, a, and a wife that's different than me. You probably didn't even know this. I'm more the emotional one. But we find in chapter 6, verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture. Brother Hall, we've got to study that word. And admonition means put them in mind, train them, instruct them, educate them, discipline them. Read the book of Proverbs. You need to whip them, whip them. You need to hug them, hug them, love them, train them, teach them. We know what these things mean. It's not the only place. Look at Colossians chapter 3. This is, this is shorter. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves. It's different, though. Unto your own husbands, not somebody else's, as it is fit or proper or right in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Now, he gives a different description. And be not bitter against them. Got to watch it. Can't become bitter towards your wife. You'll snap at her, holler at her. That's not the way it ought to be. You got to work with her. Help her and she helps you. Y'all go to heaven together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. It was right in Ephesians, well-pleasing unto the Lord. You know why? Because when you do things that are right, it's well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Sometimes they need a hug. They need someone telling them they can do it. Other times they need discipline. What a pattern, what a plan. The home of blessing. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Psalm 127, verse 1 deals with children because he said a father or a husband or parents are like those that have children or like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. Blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Margaret Sanger, she said, you have too many kids. You get a permit. You want a kid, you get a permit. Who's she? Founder of Planned Parenthood, basically. You want a kid, you get a permit. Something wrong with that kid, you kill that kid. You certainly don't need more one or two. You know, in China, you can't have but I think one, right? They'll forcibly drag you out of home and force your, your women to have abortions. People get all stirred up about this mass. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, I mean, technically it's not that big a deal right at the moment. No problem. Well, I don't care about that. You wear one, don't wear one. But I'll tell you one thing. They start trying to drag you in and make you have an abortion. Don't think they won't do it. They do it in China. You ever heard of social credit scoring? You know where we're going, don't you? That's why the premillennials all stirred up. No, it's just rough times. Go back there the same way. Culture chaos been going on for a long time. Don't get all up beside yourself. God's in control and the home is the key. So as we close, you know, what can we do? Create the home of the Bible. The home of the Bible, a place of comfort and safety. Real help and true love. Matthew 7, 12. Do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. Or 1 Corinthians 13 or James 3. Peaceable 
wisdom that is from above. And it talks about it's peaceful, peaceable and gentle. And, and 1 Corinthians 13, it believes the best and hopes the best. All these beautiful teachings, mercy and kindness in the home, Ephesians 4.32. The ability to tell your kids, it's okay, I know you didn't do right. We've dealt with that. You've been, that's where they are, little souls, to grow up and then train other little souls. And when it's done right, it's a beautiful thing. And in this country, there are many still doing that. And I'm so thankful for that. And let me tell you this. I'm so thankful for this congregation. Because we have a lot of people who are trying to do right. And you don't need to be discouraged at all. No, not, not at all. You know, some people may look down on homemakers and say, well, you're just a, you're just a housewife. Well, yeah, I read... 1 Timothy 5 and Titus chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I've also read Proverbs 31. I know a woman can do a lot of things, but she doesn't forsake her role in doing that. You read Proverbs 31, it's amazing. This woman sold real estate. She was sold retail stuff. She's involved in wholesale, but yet she took care of her family first, put God first, husband first, family first. She wasn't some career woman that would reject her children, throw them into daycare or something. No, no, that's not Proverbs 31. I'll tell you somebody else who certainly knew a lot about a mama, a good mama apparently, and that was Abraham Lincoln. You know what Abraham Lincoln said? Abraham Lincoln said, all that I am, you think about who this man is. All that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Who said it? Abraham Lincoln. All that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. I heard a gospel preacher one time say, no one's ever ready to lose their mama. Psalm 35, 14 makes that true because in Psalm 35, 14, he says, I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. Yes, there are people who forsake God and are rebellious. Proverbs 5 through 7. Sometimes your parents aren't what they ought to be. Psalm 27, 10. When my father and my mother, Psalm 113, verse 9, he maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Things happen in life. Maybe you want children, you can't have children. Maybe you have a child and the child dies. Maybe you get sick. Maybe you lose your job. There are problems. I understand that. But the plan for us to help this country is to follow the plan of God. A, pro a plan that involves husbands overseeing their families, fathers being fathers. Are they perfect? No, Hebrews chapter 12. Sometimes we were disciplined by our chast chastened by our fathers unjustly. Read Hebrews chapter 12. The point is God never does it unjustly. What a plan. Song of Solomon, what a beautiful story on love and marriage. Proverbs 18, 22, Whosoever findeth the wife findeth the good thing and obtains favor with the Lord. Proverbs 5, 18, Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Ecclesiastes 9, 9, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. We've talked about moms and mothers. Again, I would, I would beg you to really just do that very quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Men, let me tell you something. The Bible says a man won't work, neither shall he eat. In the Thessalonian letter, 1 Timothy chapter 5, he's dealing with young widows whose husbands have died. They are eligible to remarry. And it says in 1 Timothy 5 and verse number 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Husbands, you are, and I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. You are stupid if you tell your wife what to do in her kitchen. Don't do it. Find you a little nook somewhere. If you beg hard enough, you get you a good chair or something, a couple of books. You let her do what she wants to. It's her house. Let her guide the house. Queen of the home. You're the king. She's the queen. Why are you going up? God has a plan. Titus 2, 4, and 5, that they may teach young, the older women teach younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. Boy, them liberals go crazy on that. Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. 
What about children? We've already covered this, but here's a little bit more as I end this thing. I'm kind of landing it. My son, keep thy father's commandments and forsake not the law of thy mother, Proverbs 6.20. A wise son maketh a glad father. You know what I see in here? A lot of children who are making a glad father. Proverbs 15.20. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. You know what I see in here? People who are not fools because they don't despise their mother. Proverbs 19.26, He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. What do I see in here? A room full of people who do not cause shame and do not bring reproach. We are a light set on a hill, and friends, we are what this nation needs in the church. A home of blessing and a culture of chaos following a God of order. Someone says, but I'm older. My husband's died or I never got married. Proverbs 16, 31. The hoary head, gray head, is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. Proverbs 16, 31. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear the God, uh, thy God. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19, 32. There is no one I respect in this room more than Daryl McDonald Sr. I love Junior. He's my buddy, but I sure love your daddy. Children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children over their fathers, Proverbs 17, 6. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, Proverbs 13, 22. Genesis 50, 23. How do you love? How, I love this one. Genesis 15, 50, 23. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Daddy, great granddaddy. That, that, that's some good stuff going on there in Genesis 50, 23. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Younger people, rebuke not an elder, older person, but entreat them as a father, the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers. Psalm 71, 18. If you're older, listen to this verse. Psalm 71, 18. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Psalm 37, 25, I was young and now I am old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Someone says, Jason, I know you've got to close, but please put this in here. What about me? I've never been married. I'm not, I may not get married. 1 Corinthians 7, 9, 7, 39 says that's okay. Matthew 19.12 says that's okay. Jeremiah 16.2 says that's okay. Judges 11.38 says that, that's okay. Jesus never got married. Paul either had his wife run off or something happened or he never was married. Couldn't get married again apparently or wasn't going to. God has a plan. Faithful living. More than likely, many will get married. They will have children. Husbands ahead, the wife submits, who are obedient, who follow their, their parents, who hopefully there's grandparents. If there's not, maybe you could be a surrogate grandparent or a surrogate parent. You could help others who maybe had a tragedy happen in their life through a divorce, not their fault, Matthew 19.9, or death or something of that nature. And you know what we can do? We can then be what I see in faithful congregations, which is this. I see those in the church who do live faithful, whether married or single, 1 Corinthians 7 who date and marry only Christians, Nehemiah 13, 24. Their children don't speak half in the language of Ashdod. They honor the Bible teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, Matthew 19. They lead and love their wives as husbands, 1 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Genesis 3. They love and submit to their husbands, 1 Timothy 2, 5, Titus 2, Genesis 3. They teach and train their children involving kind, teaching, and discipline, Ephesians 6, in the book of Proverbs. 
They obey their parents, Ephesians 6. They help widows and orphans, James 1. They respect the elderly, 1 Timothy 5. They don't look down on the youth, 1 Timothy 4. Old people, that's also commanded, don't despise someone's youth, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I don't have time, I'll preach this sermon another time, but I went through the book of Luke, just chapter 1 and 2, and began, I, I just, I won't read it, but I'll give you the examples. I see a righteous couple, chapter 1, 5, and 7, Zacharias and Elizabeth, but they had a problem, couldn't have babies. I see a virgin in Luke 1, 27, that's God's plan until you're married, by the way, no sex till you're married. Babies living in the womb, Luke 1, same words used of a baby in the womb and out of the womb, abortions of sin. Luke 2.12, a loving mother nurturing a child. Luke 2.12, 2.16, 2.19, I see the joy at birth, Luke 1, 57 and 58. Spiritual leadership of a husband in Luke 1, 57 and following. Chapter 2.22 and following. I see an old man and an old woman. Here's why all of this matters. Let me just quote something I wrote in my notes and I'll close. Why does all this matter? Culture of chaos, God of order, home of blessing. Why does it matter? It matters because God has a plan. A perfect plan for raising souls and saving souls. The home that prepares for the church, prepares for a church which prepares people for eternity. One true purpose in life. Death matters and uh, it can be known. Our purpose can be known to glorify God in the church. Ephesians 3.21 God has a plan. He created man, Adam, ruddy or red out of the ground, to be married and he married Eve, woman, which means living, they came together in marriage, God's plan. One man for one woman, it's a man and a woman, not a man and a man, not a woman and a woman, for life. Not polygamy, not polyandry, not incest, not homosexuality, not bestiality, not he but heterosexual monogamy. Ethnicity, race, color does not matter within marriage. People of different colors can marry, people of different statutes can marry, people of different monetary backgrounds can marry. The Bible clearly teaches all of that. Doesn't matter about physical attributes, Personality styles can differ. Family backgrounds can differ. It doesn't matter if you're poor or wealthy. Certainly the wise person will look for someone spiritually qualified to marry. They will marry a faithful Christian. Since marriage so often affects one's choices and thus his or her soul and eternity. The hand that rocks the radle rules the world, we've heard. But what about this one? As goes the home. If you're not a child of God today, I want to tell you something. You can become one. And regardless of your family circumstance, you can be part of a family, the family of God. 1 Timothy 3.15, the household of God. You may have had an abusive family. You may have a great family. You may have family who aren't Christians, but they live according to the principles of the Bible and they're good and decent. You may have struggles in various ways, but I know this much. The answer, the answer to the problems of this country are found in the church, the blessing of the home. In Christ is the answer. Romans chapter 8. And I'll offer the invitation. Romans chapter 8, here it is. Turn over there in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8, if you don't mind, please. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall, the, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If you look back to verse 29 and 30, it talks about he, who He did foreknow, He predestined, who, who He did predestine, He called, and whom He called, He justified and glorified, verse 29 through uh, 30. Keep that in mind, verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, quote from the book of Psalms, for thy sake they are ki- we are killed all the day long. We are counted as conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. Does it get any better than this? Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Here it is, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've got to get into Christ. And if you're in Christ, regardless of what's going on in your life, you have hope. Get in Christ. Live in Christ. Die in Christ. And then as a part of a home of blessing, whether it be physically and spiritually or just spiritually, you can follow a God of order and you can get through a culture of chaos. If you have not been baptized into Christ, do that today. You can't be baptized if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. If you won't repent of your sins or confess His name, but if you will repent, if you'll confess His name, we will baptize you into Christ to be added to the church, to be in the family of God to then strive to live as people of God in your own individual families. I know this sermon's gone long. I don't preach, but every once in a while. But brethren, do we not need to hear more on the home in our day and time? When those cannons fired on that fort in South Carolina to begin the Civil War, there was a gospel meeting going on in Cincinnati, Ohio. They decided to cancel the meeting because the Civil War had just started. And one of the elders who decided or took the preacher, I guess, to the wagon station or train station or wherever, you know who he was? He was the mayor of Cincinnati, Ohio. You know who the president was before Abraham Lincoln? Maybe, maybe not. Attorney General, someone that wants to oppose people who say we shouldn't sell baby body parts? No. This is 1860s, or earlier than 1860s. His Attorney General was an elder in the church and a member of the Lord's church. Friends, we need to study history. There have been people who've been living right and doing right for a long time and others that don't. But here's the point. You have a choice. And I'm so thankful you're making the right one. If you need to become a Christian, come as we stand and we sing.